Time for our partnership with the uh, Star Tribune editorial board. Today represented by John Rash and Denise Johnson. They're both on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Let's read right from the Star Tribune about a story which broke yesterday. We talked about it multiple times. It's just disgusting. The director of the Feeding Our Future nonprofit and 47 other people were charged Tuesday in what federal prosecutors say was a massive scheme to defraud the government of more than $250 million meant to feed needy children during the pandemic. Again, this money was meant to feed kids during the pandemic. U.S. Attorney Andy Luger said this, These 47 defendants engage in a brazen scheme of staggering proportions. Their goal was to make as much money for themselves as they could while falsely claiming to feed children during the pandemic. John, I'm going to start with you. Where was the oversight and whose heads need to roll considering what took place? Terrific questions. They're interrelated because once one can discern where the oversight should have been, where it fell flat, those people indeed no longer belong in their positions. And yes, this is an extraordinary uh, allegation in its scope, in its breadth and depth. And it's in effect like a quarter billion dollar bank heist. But as you so well point out, even more tragically and compounding the crime is the fact that this was supposed to go toward kids with taxpayer funded money. So not only did it not do that, it increases the cynicism of government when there are indeed real needs where we need society to come together and fund. And it might make people and accordingly lawmakers even more hesitant to help when they need to in the future. So the reverberations from these allegations have just begun, will likely continue. And to the degree that they had people in city or state level or federal aspects of the government, everyone and everything has to be examined in how this happens. My sense is once they do that, the scale of what we're talking about is only going to grow. Not that those people in government necessarily were complicit, but the fact that they weren't doing their jobs, and that has to be reckoned with just like the criminal charges. I think those are all good points. We may find out they are complicit. We just don't know yet, Denise. No surprise this has turned political. We have people within these charges who work directly with Jacob Fry. We have Scott Jensen who's running to be the next governor against the present governor, Tim Walls, who's saying, This is another example of Tim Wall's administration failing. And in his view, they should have spotted it sooner. From what we know now, what legitimate responsibility should Governor Walls face about this taking place? Well, one of the things I think we need to keep in mind is that it was uh, uh, the Education Department, MDE, that brought attention to this initially. Um, and that's obviously part of the Waltz administration. Uh, they were the ones who said, uh, or, or who raised uh, suspicion initially about uh, Feeding Our Future because this is an, a nonprofit that went from, uh, you know, requiring 300 and some thousand dollars up to 197 million in one year. Um, they raised the concerns about it, and then they were uh, uh, the court said that they did not have jurisdiction 
to withhold these payments. So I think that's something that needs to be kept in mind. Yes, it's we need to get to the bottom of where the oversight, where exactly the oversight uh, went wrong. Another thing I think to keep in mind is there was a lot of a great deal of pressure. And this is certainly not an excuse, but there was a great deal of of pressure during COVID to get this kind of funding out the door quickly. They also really relaxed um, uh, requirements for it. Part of that is, is falls on the on the uh, federal government who uh, puts this puts the program together and funds it. So I think that those are some of the things that we need to keep in mind going forward. Yes, get to the absolutely get to the bottom of what the the oversight problems were. Well, yeah, and let's remember at the time this money did come from the Trump administration. I've seen a lot of people blaming the Biden administration. Well, certainly the Biden administration, John, gave out more money, a significant amount of money. But this initial amount happened while Donald Trump was president. Let's just stay with that before we switch to another topic. How confident should people feel nationwide about the money which was given out? And I think people need to deal with it at the time. It's a lot easier, and certainly I do this for a living, too, and comment on events after they've happened. When this pandemic took place and when the economy came to a halt and people were just staying in their house, people needed money. They needed funding. They, their jobs didn't exist or their jobs temporarily stopped. They needed food. They needed money for lodging. I understand it. But how confident should people feel about our national government and our state government, just right here in Minnesota, about setting up oversight on a regular basis? Because I understand why, why the, the government doubters look at this and say, here we go again. I understand it as well, and I don't think that people should be confident at all. And I think that we're about to enter a period where every aspect of the pandemic response appropriately should be reviewed. And, of course, we're talking about the medical and health protocol response. And already that debate has been raging and indeed is at the center of part of our gubernatorial campaign in terms of what did or should have happened with schools and with mask mandates and with mass vaccinations. But you also have to look at the government response in terms of how they address the economic fallout from all of this. And it certainly is feeding our future and other potential scandals like this. But even another really big story today and an ongoing one in society and in the economy, which is the big interest rate hike from the Federal Reserve today, is is certainly partly directly associated with the extraordinary amount of liquidity in government money during the pandemic. Perhaps a lot of it justified and certainly needed at the time. But there are knock-on effects that several people, Republicans and Democrats, most notably former Democratic Treasury Secretary Larry Summers sounded a really um, loud but lonely alarm about what this is going to do in terms of inflation. And to some degree, it clearly appears that that has transpired. So all aspects of how the federal government, the state governments and local governments respond to the pandemic have to be looked at because tragically we are going to face another health situation like this. That seems to be one certitude that every health expert says is this won't be the last pandemic. Yeah, we cannot forget that. Larry Summers, uh, Denise, received a great deal of criticism from fellow Democrats. He's turned out to be much more correct than the Biden administration. Let's get to another huge story today. 
Vladimir Putin in a delayed speech announces when all the reporting has said the last two weeks that Ukrainian troops have made significant progress against Russian troops. Uh, the president of Russia, Putin, said he would call up as many as 300,000 reservists. And that added, with a threat to territorial integrity of our country to protect Russia and our people, we, of course, will use all means at our disposal. This is not a bluff. So that raised the specter of a nuclear response. Joe Biden, our president here in the United States, speaking of the U.M., United Nations, an already planned speech, said that Russia's war in Ukraine is about extinguishing the country's right to exist and accused Russia of extremely significant violations of the U.N. Charter. What is your reaction, Denise? And then, you, John, you jump in right afterwards between the byplay, these two very important comments from the presidents of Russia first and the United States second. Denise, chime in. Well, Putin is is um, we've seen that there has been ad- advances that the Ukrainian uh, uh, armies have made, and so I think that this certainly a direct response to that, saying that he needs these reservists. There have also been some reports about them recruiting uh, people to fight from prison, so that means that they're um, uh, worried about their their the how the war is going. Um, so I think that, that, that that's something to, um, uh, well, not necessarily cheer, but that it is, it, it, it's important to note that he's doing this for that reason. Um, it's the, the nuclear threat is a, is a frightening one, a, a, a very scary one. And, um, I, I wouldn't doubt that he would be willing to go that far given what he has done, uh, so far in Ukraine. John, how about you? This is right in your area that you spend a great deal of time on. Uh, Vladimir Putin, from me from afar, seems stunned by how ineffective his troops have been, maybe overwhelmed by what the U.S. has provided Ukraine. Nobody thought he would just take his ball and go home. What about his threat and the words which are so important from Joe Biden? Joe Biden has a tendency to step in it at times. Did he strike the right tone today? Indeed, and uh, I do uh, focus a lot of foreign policy attention on behalf of the editorial board, writing about this tomorrow for an editorial. So regarding the president's speech to the United Nations General Assembly, he made a really interesting and I think indeed effective pivot. He so often, I think, has correctly characterized the broader geopolitical question as one between democracy and autocracy. And that's still extraordinarily important and still indeed is a focus of his and the West, and it should be. But he pivoted today to one about imperialism and the basic sovereignty of countries. So even and perhaps especially if you're an authoritarian country, China in particular, you know, he's in in effect focusing on where you are, you know, have a very different form of government, an autocratic repressive regime, but you're very concerned about the integrity of national borders. That seems to be one issue that can unify and often disunited United Nations. 
And so he appealed to every member of the nation just on the basic fundamental charter of what the organization is all about and the very clear violations that President Putin has has had happen under his regime. And regarding the issue of nuclear weapons, it's Orwellian, as so many things in the former Soviet Union, now Russia, is in that, in effect, they invade a sovereign country, they take territory, and they're going to have a sham referendum, as President Biden rightfully called it, in four areas where there's no doubt of the outcome that they then are going to declare that these are now parts of Russia. And then when the Ukrainians rightfully fight for their own territory, which has been stolen from them, Russia is characterizing this as a potential violation of their sovereignty, and thus they have the right and the ability to use tactical nuclear weapons. First, there really is truly not a tactical nuclear weapons, considering the way that it can impact people across Europe, if not across the world. And second, this could greatly escalate the grave consequences that have already happened. So what has a, been a long-term crisis is, is tr- truly turning extraordinary right now. So the next several weeks will be really key, and I expect that, that the Ukrainians will continue to press their advantage because they look at the one way to end all of this with battlefield victories, which can lead to some kind of diplomatic settlement at the end. Excellent comments from both of you. Thank you so much, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Jan. Thanks, Jan. John Rash and Denise Johnson from the Star Tribune here on CCO.